0: And welcome to the first podcast of this eight part podcast series, Connect the Dots, featuring the Innate Invest Manager Research Team. I am Jennifer Henry, Deputy Chief Investment Officer of Innate Invest, with one of my responsibilities being the head of research and coverage of managers both locally and globally. Our coverage is both broad and deep, covering multiple asset classes, including listed and in private markets, amongst managers in South Africa and globally. The purpose of this podcast series is to give listeners better insight into how we conduct research and how we differentiate ourselves from other multi-managers and DFMs out there. Over this podcast series, we will introduce and showcase our well-experienced and talented manager research analysts who will be discussing trending investment topics with portfolio managers from underlying managers in the DFM solutions or model portfolios. In addition, getting market trends and understanding of investment drivers and economics, we will also be giving our listeners great insights into how managers think about investment opportunities and the investment approach that they would use to select the best opportunities for their portfolios. Even more, and the more exciting part, I think, is that you will get a taste of the nuanced and complex analysis of managers as you hear our analysts in action during the Q&As of their podcasts. And we are now going to also hear from Lee, who has over 20 years experience and joined Innate Invest in 2020 as head of DFM. He started in the industry in 2003 at Glacier, where he has held numerous senior roles across administration, business solutions, product distribution, and institutional client management. For this session, it's also important to highlight that Lee was also the head of manager research. Also on the podcast this morning is Wasim, who has over 15 years industry experience and joined Innate Invest in September 2021 as head of distribution. Wasim has extensive experience across the group holding different leadership roles within Liberty, Stanlib and Standard Bank. So let's start off with Lee. In terms of the manager research function and how it's often positioned with advisors, a lot of it is around helping advisors manage the risk in their business. Could you describe for us what it means to actually manage uh, risk for an advisor in this sense?
1: So being out there sort of with financial advisors in their practices for many years, I think one thing is clear that a financial advisor's job is a tough one, right? It's a tough, tough job and you need a special person to do it. Now, the reason it's tough is because the financial advisor, and I'm going to focus on two types of financial advisors. One, the phase category one financial advisor. So the dispense dispenses advice. So, So they will have a client um, and that client would require a specific outcome, and it is a it's quite an in-depth process that financial advisors have to go through to try and ascertain what the requirements are of that client, whether those are savings and investments requirements for retirement savings or for drawing an income in a living annuity, those needs are have to be established. Now, in in that process, there's risk that the advisor actually needs to do that properly and needs to get um, and dispense the proper advice to the client around the needs. Now, the next part of it is matching those needs to a investment portfolio. Now, financial advisors, while many of them have been are experienced um, and understand fund managers, not many understand or have the opportunity, time, et cetera, to go through and do in depth due diligence on asset managers. I understanding you know, not only things like philosophy, process, people, but also understanding the inherent risks in those portfolios themselves. So not only do financial advisors have the risk of advice, but they also hold that risk of selecting the proper fund managers to achieve the, the almost the promise to the client through the advice process. So, so Jenny, definitely there are, there are so much risks inherent in the advice process and having a manager research team that they can rely on to reduce that risk the, the the due diligence risk of selecting managers is crucial. Now, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, where sort of where you um where we are in terms of the execution of regulations such as the retail distribution review, right? It's been coming for a while. We all know it's coming, but the fact is that it is coming. And once it comes and once it's implemented and, and there are changes to f- the phase regulations, everybody in the or every party sorry in the value chain of the investment process whether it's advice or manco or lisp or dfm or manager research services there's going to be a requirement around due diligence and advisors while they are professionals at dispensing advice are not necessarily always professionals at the manager research component so so, that requirement, regulatory requirements around proper in depth due diligence on the advisor, is coming soon. And that's why many advisors have chosen to reduce that risk and partner with a DFM team with manager research capabilities, which is, and, and we've seen a, a big move of financial advisors in that space to reduce the risk. The other type of advisor is the category two advisor, i.e., the advisor that can actually dispense investment advice. Now, there are many CAT2 advisors out there. What we have seen is that there's a big movement of financial advisors with CAT2 licenses, so licenses to actually dispense investment advice and make investment decisions, partner with manager research teams or other DFMs with with large enough well-resource manager research teams to reduce the risk that they have on due diligence so we're finding that the need for due diligence whether it's a cat one advisor or a cat two advisor um, it's both around reducing that due diligence risk and the expectation that is placed on financial advisors
0: Thanks so much, Lee. And it's good to hear that you have got CAT 2s and CAT 1s that that do see the value of maybe outsourcing their manager research function in some way or passing on that risk um, to the manager research team. But we do find that fund managers themselves, they're out there. There's lots of conferences, they have their own webinars, full-day discussions with the fund managers. And it does feel that advisors, whether they're CAT1 or CAT2, can have access to portfolio managers via these conferences and hear a lot about their funds, the, the philosophy, the positioning, you know, and their thinking about what's happening in the market so I suppose the question then, and and we see, I know that you spend a lot of time as well with advisors. Do you think advisors feel like they are getting better insights from an outsourced manager research partner than than from this, these sessions they can attend themselves?
2: All right, Jenny. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks also for having me on the call. I think definitely. I think the reality is. Advisors who partner with us or have partnered with us and been on the journey do understand and see the value. And I don't suppose it's across the DFM industry where advisors who have opted to use a outsourced or I like to say an insourced investment capability do see the benefit being passed on. I think the reality is you don't know what you don't know. Many advisors obviously believe or have seen a view of what due diligence is and believe that it is enough to attend these webinars, uh, roadshows, and so forth, but there's a lot more to it. I think the reality is, in terms of the investment approach taken, it's multiple lenses, a range of individuals trying to assess a manager rather than having one view of world, uh, which many advisors, obviously, in terms of an independent practice uh, apply. Um, I think that's one element. I think to Lee's point, Um, around regulation. I think understanding the benefit that comes along with what a DFM or a manager research capability does or answers in terms of value proposition is also uh, TCF. So treating customers fairly is a regulation um, if we'd like to call it that, that exists already. And I think a lot more advisors are aware of what they need to do for clients more consistently across the board to deliver on outcomes. So yes, I, I do think that a team behind, client-facing team, like an advisor, um, is seen in terms of value. I think the reality is it's not just the conversation or the sales message that advisors get uh, from a lot of asset managers on roadshows. Um, it's also beyond that. It's the quantitative analysis, and yes, many advisors look at historic returns and try and judge the performance um, going forward from that. But it's also the qualitative conversations that manager research teams have um, on the back end, um, the in-depth conversations that advisors aren't necessarily exposed to. I think they also see the benefit in finding additional gems. Let's also be honest, the large managers are the managers who are out there and able to have roadshows and present on these massive sort of events. At the same time, they don't always get to see the smaller managers that exist. I mean, there's a 1,700 local funds advisors are able to pick from, and over 130,000 global funds. Um, how do you as an individual, as an advisor, actually reach all of those to make sure you're doing the right thing, selecting the right managers and have the right construct and mix of managers to deliver on outcomes? Yeah.
1: If, if I yeah. can just add, add to that, and i mean, seeing you spot spot on. I mean. If you go to a a roadshow, an asset manager roadshow, I mean, it's a it's a show. So managers put their best okay. foot forward, and they must, and absolutely, you know, you you demonstrate your capabilities, but you're showing your best foot forward. And in many of the cases, it's a it's not a conversation; it's a it's a one-way street. A uh, asset manager telling you about their capabilities, and what a what an actual due investment due diligence allows for. Is a completely different setting. You are able to, it's a two-way conversation. It is a multitude of questions, like Wasim said, are prepared from prepared uh professionals coming at an asset manager. So, like you said earlier, Jen, it's you you conduct it with a degree of skepticism, and you can only do that with high levels of preparedness. And as you know, before before a due diligence is conducted, there's a DDQ pack. I mean, of of many, many, many questions that these advisors have to answer. And it stems all the way from process to, you know, philosophy, people, business, et cetera. And our analysts then have time to prepare for that. And many times you find that it's quite heated, the managers are under pressure, and that's what you want to understand. You know, are they, have they been consistent in their messages over time? What they say and what they do is their consistency.
2: And you can only do that in a due diligence setting as opposed to a roadshow.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Liam. I think
2: maybe just to add, Jen, um, and it's not that we're saying that large asset managers and asset managers are only doing roadshows for the sake of sales, right? I think the reality is that the challenge for an advisor is understanding what to take from those roadshows, apply in portfolio construction, and blend with other managers that they may be using. And sometimes I don't think messages are clearly understood by the generalist advisor out there.
0: Thanks. Thanks so much, Wasim and Lee. And I think the, you know, if I just could summarize the the key points there is that by insourcing your manager research, Waseem, I really like that, term, is that you're going to get broader coverage. You've got the scale of an insource manager that is going to show you those hidden gems and small managers and boutique managers that may not be out there on these roadshows, which is important. And I think, you know, like any business, when fund managers are on a roadshow, they are there to showcase their business and you do need the time to sit down with the manager and actually ask them those heated questions around their, their business, their philosophy, their process, etc. I think that's important. And then, you know, there's other elements as well that I don't think advisors get to see, whether it's on a roadshow, even if I think a fund manager goes into their office. And the two key components of our process is around the operational due diligence and the ESG evaluation. And uh, maybe, Waseem, could you just give us a sense that whether advisors are familiar with these, do they understand the importance of it, and that you do need to have a holistic due diligence review on a manager?
2: I think from an operational due diligence perspective, the reality is I don't think many advisors go the lengths of actually sitting inside of asset management houses, understanding what's happening Uh, from an operational perspective, the systems and tools being employed by advisors. So I think it's a missed due diligence lever that many individual advisors basically apply to their process. I think it's something that your DFMs and your larger manager research teams have employed as part of their process to get a deeper understanding Mm, of just what's, on the tin, but also what's inside the tin. If it's really the message and consistency of uh, to what Lee mentioned, what the guys or asset managers are putting out there is essentially what they're delivering and what they're doing inside their business. I think it's something that that's overlooked largely by most, uh, but quite important in the process. I think ESG evaluations, obviously something that, that that's quite topical at the moment. I don't necessarily think everybody applies a ESG lens and takes it as given that many managers who are professing to do ESG or evaluations in a specific way are doing it in the way that they say. I think your manager research capability going to the lengths of ODD as well as ESG evaluations with their own metrics does also make sure that their consistency in messaging and also the the narrative that many asset managers are taking to market around how they do things internally is in fact being done. I don't necessarily think that many advisors understand and appreciate the operational due diligence element required to in fact deliver on a proper due diligence outcomes. I think outcomes. that Wasim was actually being quite kind
1: earlier when he said that DFMs and other multi-managers doing operational due diligences, Jenny. The fact and truth is that not many teams have the ability, the resources to do operational due diligences. And to be honest, most of the due diligence that is being done by teams similar to ours are investment due diligences, right? So by having an operational due diligence, and for for the audience, it's done by a separate team. So there's a team doing investment due diligence, and there's a team doing operational due diligence. And the caliber of those people are, I mean, those high caliber individuals, And they are kicking the tires inside the offices of the managers, not speaking to the CIOs, but speaking to the COOs of the business, going through financial statements, understanding whether there is, you know, the the, the business is sustainable. It's a going concern, understanding what the investment guys are saying can actually be executed on operationally the trading systems the functions etc so so that's been done and i'll go as far as saying that there are very 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 few efm businesses or investment businesses that actually employ an ODD service and, and that is truly a differentiator and truly reduces, you know, the, well, not reduces your, it reduces risk, but it's a, it's a massive risk management component of our entire process. On the ESG side, again, agree with Wasim CMO heartedly. I think that there are teams that are, are looking to employ ESG, ESG analysis, but the depth to which we have gone. I mean, Jenny, you've been, you've been pioneering that. Um, in our process, the depth and breadth of our coverage of you know ESG analysis, understanding the actual contributions of sort of around ESG of the various managers, understanding how they incorporate ESG into their process—is it just a box-ticking exercise, or is there actual you know evidence yes. of you know, improvement in that space? So. You know, with, without blowing our wound too much, uh, there are very, very few teams out there. And I, I've been part of those teams. You mentioned that earlier. I've been yes. part of teams that do due diligence. And when I joined um, our team in, in 2020, I was very pleasantly surprised by the level and in-depth nature of our both IDD, i.e. investment due diligence, and then the mm-hmm. operating due
0: diligence. Thanks so much, Lee. And I think that, um, you know, just speaking to our team-based approach uh, you know, we have over 20 contributors just to the investment due diligence part of our process. And as you mentioned, our ODD has been separated from the investment due diligence for a very specific reason. I think the same way a single fund manager can fall in love with stocks. In a multi-manager space, you can have portfolio managers and analysts who, you know, we build relationships and partnerships with managers, and you can also then fall in love with them. So we separate out the ODD, which is not just a once-off; it also involves an annual desktop review of all the systems, process, compliance, governance, FACA submissions to ensure that that manager is sustainable and that is why that is done by a separate team and the investment team doesn't influence that process. Also in that ODD team, uh, during their committee meetings, we also bring in an external person to actually be part of that review as well. So it so truly is, is independent. And advisors in general might not be aware, but you can actually have fund failures. They have This has happened in the past from an operational perspective, just in terms of how the derivatives risk management was poor can cause uh, fund failures. And also, even if you don't get outright operational fund failures, there are those that have been under so much pressure in that maybe their assets are dropping and then they can't sustain their business and then you get funds that they have to close down. And you don't see that in the data because one of the things we always say about performance data is that it has the survivorship bias. You only see the new ones or the ones that actually have performed well over time. So so it definitely is uh, an important component both on the ODD side. You know, when we talk about partnerships, Lee and Wasim as being a differentiator to us, we we got to partner with our managers and we also partner with our advisors when they insource this function. Which part of this partnerships would make us unique in terms of how we engage with advisors in terms of maybe idea generation, say, around managers?
1: Absolutely. So partnerships is crucial to our entire philosophy around how you take out DFM proposition into the market. You know, we we speak about our three P's. So first is pedigree, and that's about the investment pedigree, which we've been discussing now. Then there is around sort of the, the second P is power, and that's the institutional scale and size of our business that allows us To extract efficiencies throughout the process, including things like institutional fees and accessing those in the retail space. And lastly, and most importantly, there are partnerships. And when we speak to partnerships, Jen, we don't, as you mentioned, not, we don't only associate that term partnerships with asset managers, but almost more importantly with financial advisors. And our proposition is all about listening to the financial advisor, actually hearing what the financial advisor has to say, understanding that there are years and years and years of experience from financial advisors and incorporating their voice into our process. So we spend lots of hours understanding the ideas from financial advisors around managers, around funds, around what they've heard in the market. And part of a, a strong manager research a team and having a strong manager research philosophy within the business is the ability to speak about funds to financial advisors because financial advisors love talking about funds, right? And because it's fascinating, understanding funds and fund managers are multifaceted, as we've been speaking about. It's both the quantitative side, but also sort of the fascinating qualitative side, understanding managers. So in a true partnership, we spend... Many many hours debating funds, and if the if the advisors have ideas around funds, you know we and and maybe we haven't we haven't covered it. We'll bring it back to the manager research team. We'll kick the ties of the managers. We'll bring that feedback to to the financial advisor, and and if it's a good idea, we could even incorporate that into into a portfolio. So so we definitely the partnership with our financial advisors and and with with manager research as it's underpin is crucial to our proposition in partnerships with asset managers so i mean you you'll speak to many asset managers and they'll say that you know you get dfms that compete with asset managers and you get dfms that partner with asset managers and we definitely fall into the the bucket and we, we we partner with asset managers because we truly believe that you know, it's in the spirit of partnership that we can ultimately deliver value to the end client who's the most important participant in this entire process, right? So there's the asset manager, there's the DFM and manager research component, and then there's the financial advisor. And through that relationship and that partnership, we're there to add value to the client. So partnering with asset managers, getting access to their teams, having close relationships with the asset managers to so that can sort of open up the, the bonnets of their cars so that we can inspect, no, that's that's crucial and you can only do that with trust, you can only do that with their trust and 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 from that perspective, Jen, I think partnerships both from the asset management side
2: and the advisor side is crucial and definitely core to what we deliver. So maybe just to add on, I mean, so, so Lee hit the nail on the head, I think the most important partnership for us is the one with the financial advisor. I think through this journey of trying to build out a proposition and coming to market at the time that we did, it gave us runway to do a bit of surveying and comparison around what it is DFMs deliver and what could truly differentiate ourselves, as well as differentiate a partnership with these advisors. So I think importantly through portfolio construction, I mean, asset management key, as Lee mentioned, but also include the voice of the advisor around how we construct these portfolios, what they're looking for, how they're looking to achieve outcomes, and then also what their clients are looking for, hearing out there and looking to actually uh, implement within a a portfolio construction. Those things are taken on board by our portfolio management team and essentially looking to nuance construction around what makes sense more holistically across the board in terms of the value chain. So that's one. I think importantly through that research, we also came to a finding of something we've coined the DFM multiplier so through the DFM multiplier we've unearthed three alphas that get unlocked through partnership with the DFM one being investment alpha um investment alpha uh, basically looking at the net outperformance Um, return from our range of solutions that existed historically, and then looking at what additional alpha levers a DFM brings to an advisor practice, one being practice alpha, some more efficiencies, more time spent with client, greater revenue generation activity rather than administrative activity, taking a lot of those uh, responsibilities on our side in terms of doing the analysis quantitatively, constructing portfolios, trying to achieve great solutions that achieve outcomes, taking that away from the advisor in terms of time spent within their practice. So I believe that's a definite value add from a partnership perspective that we bring to the table. And then lastly, I think, and more importantly, and seemingly well understood based on the the amount of research out there at the moment. Um, and also quantified by ourselves and then also, to, well, quantified and then also at the same time, just uh, realized through our exercise is what we've also seen as the enhanced advisor alpha. So if essentially the efficiencies that DFM brings to the table to an advisor's practice does allow an advisor to have different conversations with clients. So we've seen advisors and the way they've constructed portfolios in terms of living annuities, drawdowns, but being able to manage those sort of strategies going forward in a, a more sort of focused way at a client level does also add a different value to a client's life and essentially, enhances you know, the value and it advisor adds to their client based on what conversations now play out. Instead of going to buy the car this month, let's save a bit more. Let's understand not switching based on market conditions right now, managing client behavior because investor behavior is obviously quite important, but you've now got an advisor that becomes more of a financial coach to that client. And trying to play the asset manager role and going through the the ringer around trying to find these gems uh, within our industry. So I think partnership for me, it goes beyond just the value we add to an advisor, but also taking advisor on board in relation to how we actually build portfolios with their voice included as well. Jen.
0: Thanks so much, uh, Waseem. And I think that those three components of the alpha that uh, an advisor would get from partnering with the DFM and insourcing their manager research, I think you you clearly articulated that. And uh, just to then bring it back to one of the points that I made right in the beginning of the session is that the manager research team and the manager research function is actually at the heart of the innate invest research business and actually allows for us to leverage and actually deliver on those three components of alpha. And uh, Lee and Wasim, you know, you've know uh, you highlighted very clearly, I think the differentiators of the innate investor research team. As I said as well, I really believe that this is one of the most comprehensive processes out there, it is very differentiated in that uh, we do not just apply cookie cutter approach, we look at it very holistically in terms of the manager ratings. We look at it across those different factors of both the investment due diligence, operational due diligence and ESG and ultimately we would want to partner with fund managers that score well across all those all three of those categories and also we would know that those are the partners that we would keep for a long time and that our advisors would get the most value from. So thank you very much Lee and Wasim in joining me in this uh, podcast discussion. I think we've provided that overview of our manager research process and have really provided quite a few nuances and uh, what really is our differentiators and what we are bringing to advisors. So our listeners can now look forward to the next podcast where we will be showcasing one of our manager research analysts, Tia Molope, as she will be engaging with the fund manager, discussing that fund manager's investment philosophy and approach, but how they are applying it in the current market environment. And thank you very much for your time.
1: n 8 is a registered trademark of Stanlib Wealth Management Pty Ltd, an authorised financial
0: services provider.